Introduction to your inner mystic. That's the topic we'll be discussing now. I welcome you all. Simon Jacobson is my name. If it's the first time we meet physically in this earth, welcome. It's an honor. If we have met before, as I pointed out earlier and many times, that according to the mystics, apropos to this title, the universe and existence, every fiber of it, including each of us, is renewed every moment anew. So even though we may know each other, it's very refreshing to be aware of the fact that we are renewed every moment. Think of it, the pulsating energy of the subatomic particles that are always alive, always animated. Even if we don't know it, even if we don't see it, even if we don't sense it, it's still alive. And the same thing is on a spiritual level, that there's a spiritual regeneration, a recharging that is going on literally on an instantaneous every moment level. So even when you meet someone you've already known for many years, every time there's something new happening. And that's a tremendous way as well of always keeping fresh, away from boredom and monotony. So introduction to your inner mystic. The reason I speak about this, this particular time, is on a personal level, Today is the beginning of the 70th anniversary of my mentor, my spiritual mystics, the beginning of his leadership on this Hebrew date of the 10th of Shvat in 1950. Um, since I wouldn't be sitting here and speaking about this topic, I wouldn't be who I am today without that. I felt it's a tribute as well to talk about that inner mystic that we all have within us. And maybe a good, best way to begin is to quote the famous statement from Michelangelo, where he was asked, how do you sculpt those beautiful images, those beautiful angels in the marble? And his answer was unbelievable. He said, I see the angels trapped in the marble and I carve and carved to set them free. We all have that, those inner angels, the, the better angels within us, we're born with it. It's part of our birthright. It's part of our inner essence. What happens is that we live in a physical and material world that covers up and conceals. It can be marble. It can be concrete. It can be other substances that conceal that inner angel. You can just replace the word angel with mystic. The word mystic is, uh, on one hand, extremely exotic. Mysticism sounds mysterious. On the other hand, as we shall discuss, it's actually extremely relevant because the question that I ask each of you to ask yourself, and I ask myself all the time is, are you a physical body? Is that who you really are with some forces beneath the surface called your spirit, your soul, your heart, your mind at work? Or are you essentially really a spirit that's traveling this world through the vehicle called our physical body? How do you see yourself? Some people have never thought about the question. Some have. And their answer is, most of my life I'm preoccupied with a vehicle. I'm preoccupied with my material life. So I see myself as a physical being. And just as every being has different needs, I have need to eat, I have need to drink, I have a need for oxygen, I have a need for friendship, for companionship, for intimacy, for many different things. I also have a need for some type of spiritual transcendence, lack of a better word. Or you can use whatever name you for it. Many people will describe themselves that way. And I try to satisfy that through different ways that go beyond just survival, because we all, almost all of us recognize we're not just creatures of survival. We want to be thriving human beings, have also a robust and a powerful and a, uh, 
and a robust and passionate emotional life, a passionate intellectual life, a passionate spiritual life. However we translate that. So for some, that does take the shape of, it could be romantic, sexual, intimate. For others, it's different art, music, literature, other hobbies and interests, travel. For, it could be all the above. And for some, it is religion and faith and spirituality in that form of expression. But anything that takes you away from just survival is something that lifts us to another place, something I've talked about so often, about the two voices within us, one like a flame always looking upward, seeking transcendence, the other is like a wick, grounded, seeking to survive, seeking to make ends meet, making sure that we have the protection and all the needs that, that a human body has in this physical world. So that's how many people will describe themselves. I'm a physical person with many different interests and needs, and some of them take on the shape of transcendental needs. Sometimes people use the word spiritual needs. Good. However, I submit that's really not correct. We are essentially spiritual beings, which means we're spiritual entities. We just don't know much about the spirit that travels through this world in a vehicle called the physical and that becomes so predominant that we forget or we minimize the significance of that spiritual. So when we say introduction to the mystic within, to the mystic within you, that's exactly the point. The angels are within you. Do not ever be deceived to think that the things that happen to you in your life, your circumstances, your survival instincts, your needs defines you. Those are things that you need, but they don't define you. And that's the critical question. What defines the human being? And what defines you will determine the rest of your destiny, the rest of your life. What defines you is ultimately how you see yourself. Now, if you see yourself as a lowly creature, barely making it, driven by all kinds of drives and, and uh, expectations and demands, then you become what you see yourself as, what you project as. However, if you see yourself as a spirit, as a free spirit, that has been sent to this world to travel through this world, through the places you, you've been to, through the people you know, the personality you have, the different opportunities that come your way, and you see yourself as that spirit. The way you travel in this world is through a vehicle. What's the vehicle called the body? And the other physical preoccupations, then you have a completely different set of expectations of yourself. Because then the goal is to fulfill that soul's journey. So in truth is, yes, each of us is a mystic. We may not call me and I see a fuzz and say, I'm not a mystical person. I'm a material person. Many people tell me that. I have friends that tell me, I don't believe anything I can't count, primarily money. But the fact of the matter is, when push comes to shove, everybody has that inner soul within them. Sometimes, when we're completely caught up in the rat race, we don't notice it, just like those angels that are trapped. But you know, when it, comes, it emerges, it emerges in times when we fall in love, in times when we unfortunately suffer or there's grief or loss, or in times when we have some epiphany of an experience in our lives, then a crack opens up and you realize there's a deeper and higher reality. It's so ironic in a way that that higher reality requires a particular effort to access when in truth, that is the truth of our reality. Now, I don't believe I want to spend now the time to prove this, the case for this. This is something for me as an axiom, a given. 
Some do need a case be made for it. So I would just say just a few short words on that matter. Ask yourself, what are the most powerful moments in your life? The ones that will last forever. What some would call a magical moment. What are those moments that you know will be eternal? You tell me, are they physical moments or are they spiritual moments? Are they connected to some type of instant gratification, momentary pleasure? Or is it connected to something that lasts even longer than we will last in this physical world? Things like truth, things like soul, things of love, family, those things never die. They're immortal. Where do they get their immortality from? Everything in this material world is not immortal. Everything in this material world ages, erodes, and perishes, and dies. Everything. So when you see something that lasts, you continue to love someone even after they've passed on. So we may not understand the world of spirits, but it's clear that there's something more to the person than just their physical presence. Now, of course, we relate to each other through our sensory tools, our sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell, but that's how we relate. That's our, those are gateways. Those are interfaces to connect. But what do you like beyond your senses, beyond what you hear, what you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell? What do you have going on? Now, when you study spirituality, when you study the mystical, you begin to get familiar with yourself with it. But all of us have that experience. You'll hear a song. You'll hear a, a cry. You'll experience something, and you'll know there's a part of you that's more than just a machine. A computer is, in, is um, indifferent, detached. But you are not. I know some people say, I'd rather be detached. But you know what? I don't know if that's really something anyone would really prefer. Would you rather not feel than to feel? Yes, King Solomon said long ago, more knowledge, more pain. More awareness, more sensitivity, more, uh, more grief. However, would you prefer a life of no feelings? Now, some people who have suffered greatly sometimes feel they'd rather be numb. And I fully understand. But that doesn't mean that's reality. It just means that they want to avoid having to face the truth of life, which is often painful. Because we are vulnerable creatures. But the spirit is vulnerable, but it's not afraid of being vulnerable. In my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, on the chapter of love, and I know this has resonated with many because I've received a tremendous amount of responses to that one line, love is celebrating your vulnerability. Celebrating your vulnerability with another. So love is something, can we live without love? Is love a purely physical, material thing? It can express itself that way. And some people, have, scientists have even tried to isolate love and just get it down to purely a sexual, hedonistic pleasure that perhaps you can stimulate through different, uh, even, even medications. But anyone who knows what love is, anyone who's experienced love, does not want to love simply like that. That may be a uh, very cheap replacement and something that may be safe. But love comes with a whole array, a whole spectrum of experiences, including the, the ability and potential of being hurt. It has the ability of being um, ab- abandoned, abandoned, being betrayed, but also has the ability to reach places that you no way you can ever reach through common and conventional interactions. So love is an, an excellent example because no one on earth does not want love. Those of us that have been hurt in love, we hurt, maybe we stay away from it, but it doesn't mean we don't want it. In many ways, you can say everybody is seeking love. And especially those of us that have been deprived as children are seeking it even more. Every interaction, we want to be loved. 
We want to be affirmed. We want to be validated. These are, in my words, spiritual experiences. Why are they spiritual? Because they're not of the material world. Love is not a material thing. When you think of two stones, you don't think of them loving each other. You don't think of a romantic relationship. When you talk about human beings and there's two corpses, you also don't think of love. They have to have personality. They have to have something that's more than just the physical. Even when you say the beautiful face, you look beautiful to me. What does that mean? Is beauty purely like a nice piece of art? A, a, a beautiful sunset? Even a beautiful sunset. Is a beautiful sunset just a beautiful sunset? No. It arouses and stimulates within us some type of harmony, some type of peacefulness, some type of stillness where we look at it and say, wow, that's beautiful. It resonates with us. It resonates with us in the context of it being something that has this like ability to just make us feel we belong. We feel you belong. These are all words that very difficult to quantify purely in physical terms. Now I know today there are those scientists and thinkers bending backwards to explain how all this is just chemicals at work and it's all a process of just simply another survival of the fittest, the rules of biology, biological evolution, and so, and, and so on. But I would like to believe, and I think most of us would like to believe, there's something more to us being just a machine with some complex chemicals that are playing with our minds and with our beings, that we do indeed have a part of us that is of a different fabric than conventional materialism. And those that come to peace with that and look to seek, seek to satisfy that component in themselves are the happiest people. Because interestingly, you don't become happy by pursuing happiness. You become happy by being giving, by not pursuing happiness, by not being consumed with yourself. The self is a very materialistic entity. The spirit is one that is far more universal. It's encompassing. It wants to join others. It's integrate. It's in, it wants to integrate. It wants to unite. All those words are soulful experiences. Now, those of you that listen to these classes and know my style, my approach, know that there are many, many stereotypes associated with this. I haven't even gone there because I just felt I want to. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't want to go through all these introductions, but. Since I'm touching it, I just want to say there are many stereotypes and many distortions around when people say soulful in the spirit. People connect, people associate it with religion. That's connected to them with very negative connotations, punitive, fear, guilt, condescension, anger, judgment. The list goes on. I just want to qualify and make it clear. When I talk about spirit, I talk about the most beautiful part of who you are. Celebrating the dignity, the majesty of life that empowering element where you are not just validated, but you are valued. You're valued for the indispensable you that you are, that you uniquely are. You tell me that that, that does not resonate. That is your birthright, and that's your inner mystic. So when we talk about yourself, the key here is to realize that we are not who we may think we are. So this is, I'll put this in type of, this is like an introductory remarks even though I've touched upon the core issue, but it's introductory remarks. Let's go a little deeper into this and discuss how to access that and how literally you can see your life in a whole new way of looking at things. Um, generally speaking, when you talk about interactions with people, 
Everything we experience and interact with, every encounter, I would call it being an outside-in experience. Let me explain what I mean. You see me for the first time, you see a face, you see me speaking, you hear me. You may like it, may not like it. It's outside-in. You're looking at the outside, the package, the full package, what's being said, and you're determining, is this something you're interested in? You may be, you may not be. Everything we process in this world is that way. You walk down the street, you see something, ah, that's an interesting object in the window, I'm going to check it out. You may go into the store, you may even purchase it. It's an outside-in experience because it begins from the outside. Now, how does the outside work? We have our eyes, that's one way. We see things. And then we travel, either it interests us and we go further. We hear things, that's second, the sound. Three, we smell it. Four, we taste it. And five, we touch it. Those are the five senses, the five sensory tools. They're all outside-in experiences because each one of them is another way of experiencing something outside of you and seeing is this something you want to travel into and go inside. It's literally like I just said the example. You see a beautiful mural, a beautiful window, a beautiful designed window, and you say, I'm going in. You go online, you like a website, you like its information, you like its message, it's, it's what it's selling, whatever it may be, you enter in, outside in. Is there anything we experience that's not outside in? Think about that for a moment. Anything. Okay? Yes, one thing only. Yourself. That's the only thing you experience inside out. You don't need to look in a mirror to say, oh, here I am. Here's what I look like today. You look in a mirror to see how others will see you. Now, you may live for others, and you may project that way, and you say, you know, how others see me, that's how I see myself. But you don't need eyes to see yourself. You don't need ears to hear yourself. You don't need taste to touch, t- taste yourself. You don't need touch. You don't need, um, you don't need smell to smell yourself. You don't need to touch, to touch to touch yourself, I said. What else was I missing? Sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. Right. So what are these senses? These senses that so consume our lives are all about interactions around us. Not to say they're not valuable. Because we're, first of all, social creatures. We need that interaction. Secondly, we have needs. If you're not going to have those sensory tools, you won't get your needs met. If you need, for example, to buy a loaf of bread or get a drink of water, you sure have a sense of that outside-in experience to be able to then internalize it. But when you talk about inside-out, only we experience ourselves inside-out. You, f- you are first exist, then you express so when you meet someone else, you don't see them inside out. You see them outside in. Imagine you were able to look at all of life, other people, other experiences also inside out. What would life be? And I don't just mean reading people's minds in any comical way or any humorous or any type of Hollywood fashion. I'm talking about truly experiencing life from the inside out. So I'm going to give you a taste of that, an example. Very simple example. It's raining outside. The weather report says it's going to be a rainy day. We hear the weather report. Okay, we dress accordingly. A raincoat, an umbrella. You're protecting yourself from the rain. That's a very outside-in experience. It's raining. It's wet. You don't want to get uncomfortable or wet. Or... So you do whatever you do to, to protect yourself from it. I can't resist to share the Chalam story. Chalam was a city of fools. Actually, have wise people, but their neighbors were resentful, so they created this whole folklore of the fools of Chelem. So one guy is once walking out of his house with an umbrella. 
His friend meets him, and they're walking together. Suddenly it starts pouring. He says, why don't you open your umbrella? He says, my umbrella? My umbrella's full of holes. It won't help. So he says, so why did you take your umbrella? He says, I didn't think it was going to rain. <laughs> many, many psychological lessons. But let's get back to the rain. Okay. Now, you study rain a little more. You go to either, either basic uh, science of rain. Or you see today every news, <laughs> news report has a weather report and with maps and, wet, and uh, wind gusts and pressure systems. As if anybody knows where they are, most people don't even know what the barometer is, but they tell it to you. There's something that gives us a certain kind of empowerment when we see it, like what makes things tick. Like the child that opens up a clock to see what makes it tick. So we, have, so we know that there's behind the weather patterns, rain comes cloud systems, comes weather systems, pressure systems. When they're aligned a certain way, it will cause rain, aligned a different way. Snow, ice, sleet, etc., etc. So now we know a little more about the rain. It's not just rain, that you protect yourself with a raincoat or an umbrella. There are factors that cause it to rain. I believe when the Weather Channel opened, people scoffed and said, Weather Channel, who's going to listen 24-7 weather? You want the weather report? That's it. It took off. Because there's something people want to know about, maybe what the inner workings are, as I suggested. Maybe there are other reasons as well. So we've gotten a little step further. Now, if you study it a little more, if you're a meteorologist, then you really get into the real dynamics, how rain is formed. Why do these pressure systems cause a rain, the hot and cold fronts, and all other factors that determine weather patterns? Okay. All this, you began outside in. It's raining. I put on a raincoat. I take out an umbrella. I know a little more. I learn more about this, the inside of what's behind the scenes. The inside story of rain. This, by the way, applies to anything. You go a little further, you know more inside. So you're traveling from the outside in. Now, I want to take it one step further. You go to ask a physicist, especially one, let's say, uh, talking about uh, subatomic quantum physics, you get into a whole other understanding of not just the molecules of rain, of water, but also the atoms and the subatomic particles and forces that are work that are completely sometimes counterintuitive, how the quantum world works. But one more step I want to go, the spiritual side. The mystic will tell you, it's raining outside, you know, this reflects some mystical experience. And I'll use an example. You see someone crying. So here again, outside in, someone crying, it must be, they must be sad. Or maybe it's tears of joy. Outside in, you see the tears. You don't know that person is sad until they show it to you and express it in some way. Right. But when you are sad, you don't need to cry first to know you're sad. You ask any intelligent person, first do you cry and then are you sad? Of course not. First you're sad. Sad is an emotion that can't be seen. It can be felt. Then, for some reason, sadness has effect, a physical, psychosomatic effect on us. It causes our tear ducts to fill up with liquid. Some are a little salty. And then, if it's strong enough, they actually spill forth like tears, in what we call tears. So the tears are just an outside-in symbol of something going on within, a feeling. Same thing as smile. You see someone smile. 
So the smile is just an outer expression. You're going from the outside in to what's behind the smile. And I'm using really rudimentary and basic, basic experiences we have on a daily basis. Go a little deeper. Someone who knows how to read a face, someone who senses a mood, someone who's more experienced, someone who's more sensitive, more intelligent, realizes something going on inside is what shapes us. But generally speaking, all of us begin from the outside in when it comes to others. With ourselves, it's from the inside out. As we'll soon discuss, it's not complete inside out because if we don't know ourselves within, we also can experience ourselves somewhat relatively outside in. But when you do become to become aware, and you ask a scientist today, so what makes rain rain? You will begin all the way from the root of it, from the subatomic level to the molecular level to the chemical level to the meteorological level, all the way down to the outside, what we see as rain. But we travel from the outside in. The mystic will look at the world through the eyes of its spiritual archetypes. So when it rains, maybe it's like the angels crying. Just like a human being, tears are just reflective of an emotional feeling. Maybe rain is some type of cosmic tears. And then it has a whole different meaning. And same thing with other phenomena. So again, outside in is our initial way of experiencing anything, except ourselves. When you become close with someone, a close friend, you become very close and there's love. You can begin sometimes feeling what they feel. You don't have to wait for the outside in because you've got to know them the way they know themselves. Can we ever know another person as much as one knows themselves? Perhaps not. But love has powerful tools and abilities to transcend that distinction of outside in to inside out, where you can begin to experience, like someone will say, you know, that person's able to finish my sentence. They know what I'm feeling, how I would react to this. It's either due to deep love or deep familiarity with someone, so you become accustomed and you begin to see it through their lens. So ultimately, if you really want to go to one extreme to the next, the inner mystic in you sees existence very different than the way we look with our regular physical naked eyes. Our naked eyes look at a world around us, and we say, okay, that's what's out there. Here's things that are relevant to me. Here are things I want to engage in. Outside in is our primary modus operandi. The mystic within us, well, when trained properly, sees it exactly the other way around. Sees the world around us and sees how, what are the spiritual forces that are making it tick, and how do I connect to those forces? So it's not just a circumstantial thing. Oh, something happened. Maybe it's, maybe it's important for me to interact with and engage. Maybe not. It's a whole difference. It's a holistic picture. It's like seeing the inner narrative. You know, often you read a book. It's a beautiful plot. But many times you have to read it. Often you have to read it many times to get to begin to, the plot that begins to emerge. Because you're going from the outside in. You're reading Line by line, chapter one, chapter two. Cha- Sometimes you get to chapter six and you start realizing, ah, that's what the meaning was in chapter one. You may even go back and start making the links and tying the knots together. You come to the end of the book, a whole different story. Sometimes you read the book a second time and you get it differently. The same is true with our narratives of our lives. We live from the outside in. Things come our way. You do the best with it. Hopefully it's something you can cope with, something doesn't overwhelm you. You do the best. You try to fit it into your so-called outer narrative. It's outside in. But then there comes a point through humility, through experience, through seasoning, where you begin to look at life 
as these are opportunities that are given to you to do something with. It's not for you to just take advantage and exploit the moment. There's an inner narrative at work. And you could only understand that choreography sometimes looking backwards instead of frontwards. Because we don't know what's coming. But if you have that so-called modesty, humility, a story emerges and you begin to realize, I am a character, a personality in a bigger story. And whatever I go through, my joys, my pains, my grief, my celebrations, I roll part of that inner narrative. And the more you train yourself that way, the more that inner mystic in you begins to see things from the inside out. So you meet someone, it's not just, okay, are we going to do business, or we're not going to do business, or am I going to ignore you or not ignore you? You say, how does that person's soul and how does my soul connect together? How can we do something that will be improve and better the lives of others? You think in much broader and much more transcendental and much more giving terms. As opposed to me, 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 there's a bigger story. And you allow yourself to dissolve in that story. And as you do, you become part of the unfolding drama of that story and you become an active participant. Not just someone who passively is being written, who's just being included in the narrative that someone else is writing. You become, begin to be the writer because you understand the deeper inner plot. The deeper inner plot is in direct proportion to what you think the plot is, which is your self-interest. So self-interest is the direct antithesis to the inner narrative. And when you connect to that inner narrative, what you're really connecting with is ultimately that more unifying and more integrative and more fusing, fusion, of your real story, an inside-out story, not an outside-in story. So when you're a writer, when you're a composer of music, and you really write a powerful story, the story in your mind is an inside-out story. But then you have to tell it to others, so you have to put it into sections, you have to put it into um, uh, scenes and um, uh, frames, acts, act one, Act two, act three, scene one, scene two. Because the only way to convey a story to someone else is from the outside in. It's very hard to tell someone, okay, I'm going to tell you what I feel on the inside. The only way is I'll tell you the story. I hear the story, and then the story teaches me the deeper lessons. Now, just to make this even more vivid, let's talk about the difference between visual and audio communication. I use myself as an example. For the many years that I worked for the Rebbe, which, as I said, now is the beginning of his 70th years of his leadership. I, what my job was to, of course, memorize and remember, retain verbatim, literally tens and tens of hours of talks. I mean, the talks were not tens of hours, usually be five, six, seven hours with some short breaks. Then the next job was to write it down for posterity, publish it, and so on. So my style of writing, I remember very, and I still, that's my style, I can spend hours, literally 20, 30 hours on one page, on the first page. And I visualize what the story is. Once I have it clear, and it takes time, and I'm able to put it on one page, I then, the next 40 pages can take me one hour to write. Which is an interesting disproportion. First page, tens of hours. And later, it just flows. So I was once busy working on a talk, one of these talks, and one of my senior colleagues comes in and says to me, where are you up to? So I said, I'm still on page one. He says, page one's already, two, you began yesterday. I said, how do you work? Don't you first? He says, no, I begin writing, 
And then I get to page three and I don't like it. I correct something, I go back. For me, I, I said it was the opposite. After I finished page one, I never look back. The rest flows out of that. And I realized that there's just two different ways of writing, two different ways of, of, uh, two different ways of, of conveying or communicating ideas. And I just coined this. One is a visual type of writer. One is an audio type of writer. And I'm not suggesting one is better than the other. I would prefer that. I tried actually to do it the other way. It didn't work. So some people build the story piecemeal. piecemeal. Story detail by detail. If they need to go back, they go back and they correct it as many times as necessary. And others look at the picture. I want to have the bird's eye view. I'll do all the research I need. I want to get the picture. Once I have the picture, now I'll start depicting this picture. So think of it this way. When you see a beautiful piece of art, or I mentioned a sunset, or another beautiful sight, and you want to share it with someone, they have not seen it, what do you do? You have no picture to show them. So you paint a picture. How do you paint a picture? Through words. You say, let me describe it to you. Here's what happened. But they are going to, they're getting it through an audio processing. They're hearing, okay, detail by detail, and slowly, if you express it well and describe it well, you will give them a bigger picture. But you remember the picture in your mind. You've seen it. So sight, even though I mentioned sight, sound, these are all sensory tools compared to the spirits. But within the sensory, sight is very much more big picture to the details. And sound works the details to the big picture. Just wanted to give another example of inside out, outside in. Now, as sight is also outside in, but relative to sound... It has an element of inside out because it gives you the full picture. I've seen it. Someone says, so what does it look like? I said, it was just beautiful. Describe it to me. Detail, detail, detail. So on one hand, sound gives you a better picture in the details. You'll get more precise. For example, people see some things and they can't really even explain what, what, what's going on. In sound, you have no choice but to explain. So if you want the breakdown of details, fleshing it out, sound is like the place you tell the story or you write it down. But if you want the impact, the, that intense impact, it's I saw it when I saw it. You have to see it to believe it, that expression. So go and take us back to what we were discussing about inside-outside perspectives. The mystical way of looking at life is an inside look. You look at someone, you don't look at the outside, you don't judge them by their cover. You look for their, what's their inner narrative, what's their personality be like how can we join how can we help each other live up to our higher calling and mission sometimes people describe the left brain and right brain this way with the left brain being the detail oriented one oriented one and the right brain being the connector one again visual and audio but let's go back to the inner mystic discussion so how does one look at the inside out there's a whole new way of looking at life because then you see life in terms of what is the deeper lesson? What is its deeper meaning? It's not just frivolous. It's not superficial. It's connected to a powerful experience of something beyond the here and now. It's almost going to a place that's beyond time and space. And that leads me to the deeper meaning of when we say mystic. Now, Actually, I thought twice about the title because I know mystics, some people say, that's not for me. I'm not a mystical person. I'm not a spiritual person. But, but please, bear with me. You are. You may have different words for it. But it means it is a form of looking at existence and life 
Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Who doesn't want to see it that way? If you're a businessman, you want to see the inner the trends, the inner workings of something. What makes it tick? If you're in other areas of life, everybody wants to have that element of inside-out experience. And when you do, you begin to see things in terms of purposefulness, meaning, meaningful. You see the meaning of that. It's not just another thing. As I said, if you're thinking about your needs and your interests, okay, so you're walking down the street or you're browsing online or you meet people or different things come your way, you know, you think in terms of, is this good for me? If it's good for me, I'm in. If not, I move on. The inside outlook looks at everything in terms of what is this deeper purpose and meaning. Why did I encounter this? It's not always about my immediate need. It's not always about my selfish survival. It's about the deeper story of my life. So if you're looking for that deeper story, we have to look inside. And we have to carve and carve and set that angel free. We have to carve and carve and set that mystic free. How do we do that? By beginning very step by step by beginning to look at things in a deeper way. The classic example is a piece of food. You're sitting down for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You're hungry. You, know, you want to eat healthy, so you eat different nutrients. They sustain you. They fill you up. And you feel sated. You feel satisfied. You move on. Who remembers? If it was a significant meal, you may tell people, you know, this is a very good cuisine, good restaurant, good dish, etc., and, and cooking, culinary art, has in it also its transcendent element. No question. But most of us, we eat and move on. What do the mystics say? Using a verse from the Bible, not on bread alone does a human being live, but on the divine spark, spark, and the mystical spiritual spark inside that piece of food. So yes, the, from a chemical and medical and biological point of view, outside in, the food breaks down into the body, the digestive system eliminates the waste, absorbs the nutrients into the blood. The, the mystical perspective is, no, there's something more going on here. There's a spiritual connection between you and that piece of food. There's a spark in it. And when you connect with that spark, it makes your soul stronger and fulfills the purpose of that piece of food. So therefore, a meal is a sacred act. A table is an altar. And a meal is a offering, a carbon. Simple. Same thing with your work. Money is not just money. Money is the energy, the life energy, the soul energy of all your investment. And therefore it expresses your interests when you use the money to give charity, to help others. What you're doing is you're redeeming the sparks in that money. These are inside-out experiences. Then you become like what a true businessman is. Wherever he goes... He's busy looking for opportunities that are good for him. Here, it's not opportunities good for you, it's opportunities good for the cause, good for the higher purpose. So in the words of the discourse that is traditionally studied and learned in, on this day, the 10th of Shvat, it says, come to my, to, the, to my garden, my sister, my queen, my bride. And it's referring to the garden of existence, which all of us are, as I said before, angels. We're all flowers. And come to my garden means the place that I am naturally there. That this material world, for all its deception of not allowing us to see what's beneath the surface, which is why the mystics call nature 
Hateva in Hebrew, the nature, word for nature is Hateva, the nature, is called Teva, because the word Teva, nature, means submerged. It's really Teva. When you throw something into an object, into a sea, into an ocean, it gets submerged, and you look at the face of the ocean, nothing, it's not there. But we know it's there beneath the surface. So nature is essentially a, almost a deceptive veil, shroud, that conceals the forces that really make things work. Nature becomes this word we use. Just, yeah, that's nature. That's natural. What does that mean? It means something you don't understand. So nature is this outer force that we just turn to or, 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 or throw back. That's our so-called fallback position. It's nature. In truth, nature has within it an invisible hand. And when you think about the, the beauty, the elegance, the, the cohesion, of, of existence, it's a miraculous. It's actually the extraordinary within the ordinary, the supernatural within the natural. So really, life is not ordinary at all. It's just a surface level. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The sun rises every morning. Everything seems to just be going through its monotonous clockwork. In truth, is no. Beneath the surface, like beneath the sea, lie brimming with tremendous amount of energy. And same thing with you and I. How, as I began this, this class, how much energy is, being renew, is, is there beneath the surface? So when you look, yourself from the out, look at yourself from the outside in, you see what you see, and you know, here and there you pick up something valuable. From the inside out, you are a tremendous resource. How much of your potential is not even being actualized? Alas to those who die with their song still inside them. In the classic poem called The Voiceless. How many songs do we have inside of us that are not being sung? How much potential? How much of our lives are being done to satisfy someone else, someone's expectations, someone's demands, or just even our illusions of demands? The rat race, the merry-go-round, the roller coaster, that circumstances, what you do, drags along who you are. You have the opportunity to become who you are should define what you do. The inside should define the outside, not the outside should define the inside. The captain tells the ship where to go, the ship doesn't tell the captain where to go. A hammer, a screwdriver, an instrument doesn't tell the hand what to do, the hand tells the hammer what to do. So you have the opportunity to really transform your life without transforming it actually, just looking at it from the inside out. That requires spiritual fortitude, awareness, connection, that allows you to connect to a place that is the inner narrative of your life. And when you connect there to your purpose, to your soul's mission, everything changes. That's the garden that we're all invited to come to. Come, Bussy. Come to my garden, my sister, my bride. That's where we are. Our natural state is a garden, is a beautiful place. It gets concealed by layers and layers of grime and other substances waiting to be released. So the more you access that inner mystic within you, the more you access that inner voice, that inner song, the more your life takes on a whole new different dimension. And you actually begin to make sense of your life. Interestingly, not just the good parts, even the painful parts. Because you realize there's a larger narrative. And that larger narrative is an inside-out story. Now can we jump and immediately, quickly, cold turkey, go from outside-in experiences to inside-out? No, it takes time. 
It takes conditioning, training, but you can begin. You begin by every morning saying, thank you for returning my soul to me. Remember, your soul is where it begins, not your body. First there's a soul, then there's a vehicle. The vehicle follows the, the passenger, or the driver, I should say, that's guiding and, tra- and channeling that vehicle to the, toward the right directions. Begin to think like that. Take hold of your life. Make deliberate decisions. I'm going to do something now. Proactive. I'm not just going to be reactive. All that is inside-out thinking. And that all that is the mystic in you beginning to emerge. Now, if you don't like the word mystic, use the word angel, use the word flower, use the word music, use the word song. It's all, these are words. But it's basically form follows function. The outer the, the, follows the inner. The spirit of something should define its manifestation and expression. You have a good idea. First you have the good idea, then you express it. You don't first express it and then say, okay, let me figure out what the idea is. Everything follows. There's a plan, a strategy. Now we'll follow that. That's how we have to begin to look at our lives and take control of our lives. So yes, my friends, each of us has the mystic within. Each of us has that soul within. It has, it's filled, filled with tremendous amount of resources, intelligence, emotional intelligence, waiting to be released. But it cannot free itself on its own. If you are consumed with the lower common denominators of life, the materialism with the survival, all the things on the vehicle level, you know, what kind of car I'm going to have, what kind of vehicle I might have, even literally, then you're not giving room and time for that soul to express itself. Think of children. Children need to be given attention. You have to be attentive to care. Say, you know what, what what matters to you matters to me. Many times adults don't have patience. Say, let's just go along. And what we do is we undermine the most important thing in our children is their adventure, their sense of free abandon, their exploration, their inquisitiveness, curiosity. All spiritual aspects that are looking to understand things in a much better and broader way. How often is education emphasizing so much more the utilitarian subjects? You know, how to do things. Technical. Instead of arousing the artistic part of ourselves. The arts, the music, the, the inner, inner supersensory experiences that so define us. But we live in a world that's very preoccupied with making ends meet. Being successful means being prosperous. Prosperous means being money. Money has a lot of choices. We are in a way undermining that real wealth is the wealth of your soul, not the wealth of your body. Now we're not undermining, we're not suggesting that we don't value physical prosperity, but it has to come hand in hand with a soulful commitment. So here we are on this day, this special day, and talking about how we access the single most precious part of who you are, that unique soul, that unique soul that beats inside of you, that unique personality that has the capacity to do things beyond your wildest imagination, has the capacity to be unique and original, not a clone and not a copy of another, and to really make an impact in this world that you and only you can make. Isn't it about time? 
to begin to get to know yourself in that way. Not the self that you're usually familiar with, the outside-in self, but the inside-out self. And you do that literally by studying and, exp- and, and, uh, and learning and appreciating soulful teachings. The more you learn about the soul, the more you understand the soul. You come to understand its mysteries as well as its beauty. That element that gives that um, spark, that uh, I would say like the, to the narrative, that the narrative isn't just a bunch of fragmented, disjointed pieces, but there's an inner story, an inside-out story. So may you all be blessed on this special day to have the strength, the courage, the fortitude, the commitment to begin to read and study more. A good place to begin is my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, if you haven't read it. Anything that's soulful, that helps you feel your soul within you, give it attention, make yourself aware of it, that, begins to ret- that will begin to return to you even more than you invest. So everyone should really use this opportunity. It's a great day to begin. And that spiritual journey. If you're already on the journey, as we know, this journey is not a limited one. There's always infinite levels to still conquer. Maybe the word conquer is not a good word. You never conquer it. Still levels to be revealed. And as you climb the, 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 the ladder, the horizons get wider and you become more accustomed to even broader horizons. And then that big picture informs your small picture. So even the details and the trivial things you do, which is part of life, part of survival, are infused with that deeper and higher meaning. So imagine from head to toe, 24-7, no matter what you're involved in, you're involved in your personal spiritual journey. Everyone very be blessed. It's an honor, as I said at the outside, to share a few words in the intersection of our souls. Please share with others. We are here for you in every possible way, the Meaningful Life Center, to help you find that deeper narrative, that inside-out look at things. And begin to train yourself. Even today, when you walk in the street, you visit someone, you go to a park, look at a shrub, look at a piece of a blade of grass, look at a human being, and think, what inside-out story does this blade of grass tell? Does this raindrop tell? Does this person tell? Start thinking like this, and you'll begin to see you'll see yourself looking at your life and the world around you in a different way. We're here every Wednesday. This, of course, program is live and recorded, so you can access it at any time, download the podcast, and hopefully we can be partners in the success of reaching as many people as possible in a ripple effect type of way of bringing these type of these soulful teachings to everyone we can reach. We also deeply appreciate your support, financial support, by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship, where you can sponsor a program or a series of programs in honor of a loved one, in memory of a loved one. We only have good news and help each other grow into this synergetic power of creating this beautiful composition, cosmic composition, beautiful symphony, with each of us, our indispensable musical note, joining with all others. Thank you so much and be well.